The following is a sermon from Pastor David Salinas of Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Pastor once told a story of a rather innocent little episode that he once witnessed as he was getting ready in the morning. He looked outside his bedroom window to see a man swallow the last chunk of a banana, looked across the street to his left, looked behind him to see if anybody was coming, and when he saw that the coast was clear, he tossed the banana peel over the fence under some bushes by the freeway. In that little episode, the pastor noted two hallmarks of American life, American culture, and of course, of sinful human nature. And the first thing he noted was what he called practical atheism. The man looked in front of him, he looked to the left, and he looked behind him. Why didn't he look up? Because at that moment, he became a practical atheist. There was somebody in front of him and to the left and behind him that mattered, but there was nobody in heaven that mattered. And and so he felt comfortable and easy doing something that his conscience was already telling him was not the right thing to do. In American life, we are oftentimes, by practice, practical atheists because it's not what people say and what they confess and what they confess, but whether they look up when they think they're alone. And the second mark of American life and of human nature that this pastor noted in that rather innocent, seeming inconsequential action of throwing a banana peel over the fence was what he called physical hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure. Why didn't he want to hold on to that banana peel until he found a garbage can into which to throw it? Because it was inconvenient. It was maybe slimy and mushy and stringy, and yet at the same time, looking to the side and behind him, he knew that what he was doing was wrong and that people wouldn't approve. And so, but then this minor little skirmish started in his soul. Shall I choose the pleasure of getting rid of this banana peel, or should I choose the pleasure of a clean conscience? The physical pleasure went out. Physical hedonism. If it feels good to your body, why deny yourself? The two, of course, go hand in hand, right? Practical atheism opens the floodgates to physical hedonism, because if we can manage to get God out of the banana peels of our life, then we can be free to proceed with our indulgences. Everybody, look at me. Never is this more true than in the area and in the blessing of our human sexuality. Far too many of us non-atheists, Christian people, 
can end up living as practical atheists and physical hedonists by surrendering both our bodies and our minds to the intoxicating pleasures of sexual experiences outside of the bond of marriage. And whether you're talking about having relations with somebody before you're married, or extramarital affairs, or pornography, or indulging in a fantasy life with that crush at work or at school, My dear ones, this isn't banana peels. Sinning in this area can kill us and our children forever. And so my aim this morning is nothing short of soul saving. Not to mention family saving, and, and reputation saving, and career saving, and marriage fulfilling. I don't want any single one of us here to be mastered by anything and nobody other than our Lord Jesus Christ, baptized for us into our muck to make us pure and holy, that when that battle ensues in our souls, we will look up, and we will remember whose we are and who lives in us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will use our bodies and minds to preach this message. Here is Christ. This, in my body and in my mind, is what Jesus looks like. Open up your worship folders and let's follow along with this very important lesson for our day. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, you say, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I don't have to tell any of you that 21st century America is a sex-saturated culture. Sex is a religion. But one quick read of the Apostle Paul's words here to the Corinthians, and we know very clearly that so was first century Paul. And you can believe this, that the believers in their day struggled just like the believers in our day to fear God, to love Him, and trust Him enough to live a pure and decent life in words and actions, and that husbands and wives love and honor each other. 
And in this section, a Holy Spirit-filled and inspired apostle has basically one encouragement, one urging, one yearning welling up from the pit of his pastoral heart for his people when it comes to this thing. Run! Run! When it comes to the thoughts of of living together before marriage, of extramarital affairs, of of any kind of fantasy life or pornography or any other kind of, of sexual perversion and experience outside of the bond of marriage, run. This sin is not to be treated like just some some obstacle in front of you that you're to hop over and try to avoid. This sin is to be treated like a deadly snake that you're to jump back startled at and run away from like your hair was on fire. When it comes to the sin, real men and women, they run. They don't stand in there and fight. As Christian people, our calling is always this, never to see how close to sin we can get, but how far away from sin we can stay. I'm going to say that again. Our calling as Christian people is never to see how close to sin we can get, but how far away from sin we can stay. And Paul gives a host of jarring and sobering and even frightening reasons why it is so important for us to run in this area. He he first reminds us here at the very beginning that, that surrendering ourselves to sexual sins, this is not an expression of our freedom. It is a re-entry into a deadly slavery. Now, the Corinthian Christians, they would be, some of them, the first to object, and and maybe some of them were, were prone to shout out things that we might be prone to shout out today. But it's my right, and, and it's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. All of that was wrapped up into this little slogan that they had adopted for themselves that makes up the very first verse of our lesson. I have the right to do anything. That's what they said. Where in the world did they get that from? Well, remember when I told you that in Corinthian culture, sex was a religion? I didn't just mean that metaphorically. I meant that quite literally. One of the great prides of Corinthian culture and the city of Corinth was the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And working inside the oldest profession were a thousand cult or temple prostitutes. Sexual immorality was not only legal in their culture, it was spiritual. And and so you can imagine how this became the norm, the accepted, normal, even right thing to do. And so it, it might not have been as uncommon to see a man running out on his wife and on his family to visit one of these prostitutes that they affectionately termed Corinthian girls. It might not have been as uncommon to see that as, say, I don't know, in our day and age, a boyfriend and a girlfriend getting an apartment and living together before marriage. Because nobody here is offended by it. Why should God be? But do you hear what the Apostle Paul says here? He says, I don't, 
I don't care how legal this is. I don't care how normal and how acceptable this is. I don't care how convenient this is for you and how much money you're going to save so that you can have a nice wedding later. You do not have the right. As a Christian person, your freedom is a far different freedom than to indulge in the very sins of your society. The, the body was not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. This is what real freedom is. This is what real strength is. This is what real divine beauty is when you deny yourself and you go counterculture. And anything else is just, is just pathetic weakness and wretched slavery. And you want to just think about one man who is the epitome of that? Think about Samson in the Old Testament. He was the strongest man physically on the face of this earth. Nothing could bind him. Flexing his muscles, he could just rip apart any bonds and any chains that were, that were wrapped around him. He could take the jawbone of a donkey and kill a thousand men. But morally, this guy was wimpier than a butterfly. A less manly man you could not find. Because numerous times the Bible warns us that he, that he gave himself into the seductions of a woman, and so he was in bondage. He was not the master of anything, but he was mastered by his own flesh. And you just ask anybody who has ever been addicted to pornography, or anybody who has all of a sudden developed an attraction and feelings towards someone that, that they shouldn't, and, and the thoughts just consume. Run. Run. Run like your life depended upon it from any kind of, of immorality, because, because this, is, this is, well, it's not a, a more heinous sin, certainly not an unforgivable sin, or a more damnable sin than any other. But there is a particular degrading and demeaning aspect to this sin that is unique against the very person and against the very habitation of holy God. Do you not know that you are the members of Christ himself? When the Holy Spirit took us in the waters of baptism and brought us to faith in Jesus, you know what the Holy Spirit did? He performed a miracle very close to the miracle that he performed when he intimately interwove your bodies and souls in the wombs of your mothers. When he brought us to faith, the Holy Spirit intimately interwove us to Jesus, so where he is like the soul and we are the body in this new being called a believer. And sexual sin maims the body of Christ. It is to, it is to take his body parts, to sever them from him, and to unite them to the object of one's fantasy or affection. Should we degrade the body of Christ like that? And what is more, what the Apostle Paul here tells us is that when the Holy Spirit brought us to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit didn't just intimately unite us to Christ. The Holy Spirit himself took us as his own habitation. Do you not know that you are temples of the Holy Spirit, says the Apostle Paul? And when you hear that word temple, the Holy Spirit does not want you to think about just some pagan temples out there or, or even the temple grounds of Jerusalem. He wants you to think about the most holy place, the most sacred 
location on the face of this earth in Old Testament history, do you not know that you are the most holy place of the Most High God? Should I take that holy place and desecrate it? Ah. A question has to come up as we think about the fierce warnings and the judgment and this preaching of law that the Apostle Paul has for us. Pastor Salinas, what if I already blew it? What if I lost my virginity before my wedding night? What if I've already engaged in activities as an engaged person? What if in those dark hours of the night I just can't stop clicking on those websites? What if this person just has me in their throes and I, I don't know why, I don't want to think about them, I know it's not right for me to do it, but I can't help it. What what do I do if that has happened to me? If that is you, take my hand and let me lead you out of this dirty swamp, a swamp that I have waded in myself. And the first thing that I would say to you is this. Don't you refuse to be forgiven. Listen to me, sins like this can be especially embarrassing. Even, even listening to a sermon like this can be especially hard and, and shameful and, and you don't want to really even listen to it. And sometimes the temptation is to make this thing loom larger than the cross of Christ so that when you even hear about forgiveness, it's like you're not even happy, you're not even peaceful, you, you feel almost like, like no, no, I, I don't want to hear that, I don't want to, I don't want to be forgiven. I should know better. I, I am better than this. Or are you going to want to keep saying, but Lord, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm such a subhuman piece of trash for thinking this, for going down this route. It's almost like you want to take your own repentance and turn it into these iron bristled brush and try to scrub yourself clean. Stop. Don't do it. Remember. God sent Jesus into this world because he loves you. And because he loves, yes, he loves to forgive you and to cleanse you again and again and make you beautiful and make you holy and make you precious in his sight. Don't refuse to be forgiven. And now ready? Come with me and let's leave the muck of sin and head into a whole new life of purity and holiness to the glory of God. I want you to put yourselves into the sandals of a woman named Gomer, who was the promiscuous, unfaithful wife of the prophet Hosea. And over and over again in her pursuit for her own happiness, the indulgences of her own flesh, her own feelings of love sickness, she, she pursues man after man until she lands into the arms of a man who does not love her and does not care for her, and he will not or he cannot provide for her most basic needs, let alone for her emotional needs of, of security and true affection and godly, manly leadership. 
So he sells her into slavery. And secular historians tell us that in many cultures in those days, a woman who was sold into slavery was stripped naked. And there she was, put up on an auction block before the gaze of the crowd. And the bidding starts. Do I hear 10 pieces of silver for this woman? 10 pieces of silver, please. What a bit of 10? What a bit of, what a bit of 10? Someone shouts 10. Do I hear 12? Do I hear 12? 12 for this woman, 12 for this woman. 12, 15, 15. Come on, somebody, 15. Give me 15 for this woman. What a bit of 15? What a bit of 15? 15 shouts a prophet. 15 and Homer shouts somebody else. 15 and Homer and a lethic of barley shouts the prophet. Do I hear it going once? Going twice? Sold. And the gavel sounds. And this prophet pushes himself forward. And he's carrying a roll. And he throws it around this woman. And with both of his hands, he lifts her jaw and looks her in the eye and says, I have just bought you. I love you. And you are mine. And you are to live with me all of my days. And I want you to be faithful to me. From this moment forward, let there be nobody else. And I promise that no matter what, I will always be faithful to you. And then ask yourself the question, how, how can a man do that? How could a man love a woman like that? How could he go before a crowd that knew him to purchase back this woman who had treated him like that for the sole purpose of nursing her back to purity? Hosea could do this because the love of God was shed abroad in his heart and he was playing the role for Gomer that God had played for all of his wayward people and plays for all of his wayward people always and then realize this that deliberately and unintentionally, that purposefully and against our will, we have all given sway and been swallowed up in our own passions and our own thoughts and our own desires. In our own ways, we have misbehaved, if only in our minds, if only in the Internet. And there we stood on the auction block to be sold into death and to slavery, but Christ, our husband, pushed himself forward through that crowd, and he outbid them all. And he took two beams of wood, and he threw them on that auction block, and then some dirty, rusty nails, and said, here, this is what I pay to have you, my life. And he outbid them all. And he purchased us for himself. With his pure and purifying blood, he redeemed you and me. And through the waters of holy baptism, he came to us and he threw the robe of his own righteousness and purity around us. And with those tender but strong nail-scarred hands, he lifts up every single day our own gaze and he looks into our eyes and he says, this is how much I love you. And you are not damaged goods. I don't care what you have done. I don't care what you have thought. I don't care how you have desecrated the holy temple of God. You are my virgin bride. 
and you are to live with me all the days of eternity. Be faithful to me. Be faithful to me. I promise you that no matter what, I will always be faithful to you. Hearing Christ Jesus, being in his arms, telling us that, let each of us glorify God with our bodies and minds. Young people, renounce any thoughts of sexual relations before marriage. Premarital sex, out the window. If that is still happening, enough. This is the last day of that. And you save your bodies for your wedding night. Married couples, love each other deeply, deeply, and express physical intimacy within the bond of marriage. This is pure, this is godly, this delights the Most High. Let each of us be very careful about what we watch on TV and on the internet and what we let our children watch. Because garbage in, garbage out. Let each of us find that good friend of that same gender who will help us follow through with Paul's words in Philippians. Whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, think about such things. Let our bodies and minds be what they are by faith, his temples. Let everybody see Jesus in us and let us enjoy real and lasting pleasure. Amen. <laughs>